Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Evolve Wellness Experience. It's your favorite chiropractor, Dr. Bill Jensen here. And today I literally have the brains of the operation coming in for the podcast, Dr. Andrea Radak, and she's going to be talking about functional neurology. So for all you big brain people out there, this is going to be an amazing episode and uh, we hope to learn a lot about our brains and what we can do to make them better so that we're better human beings and live the life that we want to. Enjoy. Well, welcome to another episode. It's been, I know it's been a little while since we've had a, a podcast episode here. We've had some technical difficulties with the studio, but uh, they're back on their feet again. And so I was thinking like, what could we do in order to get back with another amazing episode so that you can learn a little bit more about your body, how to be healthy and how to function at your best. And so I think when, uh, when you're talking about those things, I think neurology is the foundation because uh, what we always talk about in chiropractic is the nervous system is the master system that controls the function of every organ, cell, and tissue in your body. And within the nervous system, the brain is the one. So Dr. Andrea, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Yeah. So little background uh, about Doc here. So she uh, once was on my tables on a regular basis. She was a chiropractic patient of mine. And so I'm proud to say that I now in my 21 years have produced two chiropractors uh, that were once patients of mine. So, but I think you and your education and the differences that you're gonna make uh, to the community are probably the best, I would have to honestly tell you. so. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself, your background, where you're from, and uh, how you got to sitting next to me on my podcast today. Absolutely. Um, my name is Dr. Andrea. I'm a local here in Stuart, Florida. Thank you, Dr. Jensen, for having me on your podcast. He is correct. I was one of his patients before I went to chiropractic school, and um, I came into his clinic one day to be adjusted, and I was frustrated because I didn't know what to do with my life. And I said, Dr. Jensen, I don't know what I'm doing. He goes, be a chiropractor. And I looked at him. I was seemed logical. <laughs> and I thought to myself, okay. And then I did. And um, I went to Martin County High School and I did my undergrad at University of Central Florida in Orlando. Um, during my undergrad, I found out I was pregnant and um, I... Um, decided to continue my education and I had a wonderful support system down here at home and I was able to not only have my daughter, um, however, I was also able to go forward to Port Orange, Florida and do my graduate program in chiropractic. And it was very interesting because as I was going through school, I've always, you know, I love people, I love talking to people, I enjoy, um, really just knowing why people do what they do and how they feel and where all that comes from. And for the longest time, I always thought it was psychology I was interested in. And then I went to chiropractic school and I learned a little more and I realized that it wasn't necessarily psychology, but it was neurology that I really enjoyed. Um, so I was going through my program and um, Really what got me more into the developmental functional neurology niche is when I was studying for my state licensing and my daughter lived down here 
um, in Stewart and I hadn't seen her for a few weeks and I was sleep deprived and, you know, studying and um, probably a little depressed. And there was this one day where I was in class and I started, um, you know, I just I just like broke down and I started crying. And, you know, there was these tears coming down my face that I couldn't stop. And I actually decided to go home because um, it just wouldn't stop. But, and, you know, I'm religious, so when I went home, I was, you know, I started praying. I said, why am I here? Because in my mind, I'm like, why am I here studying for six tests in a week with my state licensing examinations when I could be home playing with my then two-year-old daughter? And I really wanted to play with my two-year-old. You know, I wanted to play finger paints and I had all these crafts and I wanted to be like a mom. Um, and so I was really praying, like, um, and chiropractic is uh, wonderful, and I've always gone to chiropractors, and I know how important it is just as a tool itself for the body and for the system. And But um, I thought to myself, you know, I don't want to be like a normal chiropractor. I said, you know, I want to help people that nobody else could help. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like that was something that I could do because, again, I've, you know, I left my, my child. I was here. You know, I'm very focused and motivated, and I really wanted to help other people. And I didn't know how to help them yet. And so I was praying and I prayed that, you know, I would go anywhere I had to go and um, do anything I had to do to be able to do that, basically. And then that fall, two months later, because uh, this was in June, uh, June, so that fall I landed myself in Dr. Malillo's course in uh, for childhood neurodevelopmental disorders in Atlanta, Georgia. And I remember sitting there and I was like, you know, it was almost like the sun came out and I was thinking, I'm like, this is what I was meant to do. Like, this is what I was, you know, it was what I was meant to um, do. And um, since I realized that that day, I just started doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was wonderful because, again, like my nephew has um, Asperger's and um, I always thought it was very strange how people never really understood what was going on inside the brains of an individual child and or adult that has um, autism or ADHD or dyslexia, any sort of um, behavioral um, developmental delay um, condition. And um, I'm like, well, there has to be something, right? Like you go to your heart doctor and you go in for a surgery and they tell you all about the heart and, you know, a diagram and they tell you how what, what does what and what they're going to do and how it's going to affect you afterwards. But people don't really get that with the brain. Um, people know the anatomy of the brain and the parts of the brain, but understanding and knowing what that looks like functionally and then also clinically is something that I feel um, not many people know. Um, and I feel very grateful to, you know, have a you know, a really good understanding, if not one of the, you know, better understandings of the majority of the people out there, what's actually going on in the brain of a child that has autism or developmental delay. And I'm really excited just to be back home because this is my home. I'm from, you know, this is my place. And um, I am excited to start working with the families and, you know, giving power back to the patients and to the parents. And going from there. And I'm excited to be doing it in your um, practice, Dr. Jensen. Yeah, we, we couldn't be more <laughs> blessed to have you on board. And I'm, <clears throat> in all honesty, like, I'm just so fascinated with it, too. And and to res- to kind of piggyback off what you said, it's like, 
I think that's like a lot of times the case in a lot of a lot of the medical situations and stuff like that is is just diagnosing something, but not really understanding like the mechanism behind why the diagnosis is there. You know, like you like you labeled, you know, um, oh, your your child has autism. Well, why? You know, like you know, like what's going on within their brain that is creating this type of expression mm-hmm. on a neurological basis, mm-hmm. and. If we can understand the mechanism behind why that's going on, can we then do something about it mm-hmm. rather than just say, oh, they have autism and now that's that's, that's their the diagnosis. So that's the way their life's going to be the rest of their life. So mm-hmm. um, it's amazing. So, yeah, I must have a big believer, obviously, whenever it comes, you know, and just going back to what I do, obviously, I don't nearly get into the neurological levels and um, assessments and treatments like you do, obviously, but. You know, we had I had a gentleman come in today, you know, who had lower back pain and sciatica. And they said, oh, I went to the doctor and they just said I had sciatica. And I said, OK, why? Well, they didn't tell me why I had it. What did they tell you to do about it? Yeah, they told me to, like, take some medications they prescribed for me and stretch my back out and put heat on it and wait for it to get better without knowing why you have it. Like, what is, you know, OK, maybe you're going to get better. But what are the, the chances that it's going to come back again? Mm-hmm. What you know, at some point, if you don't understand like what the trigger is for the sciatica in your particular case, so wholeheartedly, I think we're in the same um, same thought process there. Obviously, as far as like figuring out mechanism and cause and mm-hmm. treating accordingly, so it's great. <laughs> so, functional neurology. What? What? Well, let's let's go back a little bit. So, number one. Um, what exactly is functional neurology? And then I guess, um, you know, where did it come from? What, it, what is, and then my question, I guess, is like, how does it differ from like traditional neurology? I mean, everybody knows what a neurologist is. I'm sure a lot of people listening have been to neurologists before. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. what would be the difference between somebody going to a neurologist to assess somebody like you see versus they coming to see you mm-hmm. for you to assess and, and how your treatments are going to differ? Mm-hmm. So um, it's all important, especially, for instance, you know, you work with a a lot of if you get into a car accident or you have any sort of neurological conditions, you always want to go to a neurologist first to rule out any serious conditions such as seizures. And, um, you know, they run all of their tests. They have their uh, EEGs and, um, you know, those tests that they look at to make sure that everything in the anatomy is working well, the nerves are all connected. Um, Functional neurology is really what it sounds like, which is function. So, you know, we're always looking at normative data for an individual's um, gender and also their age range. Um, If a person comes in and they can't do it, well, that's it has nothing to do with the muscles or the nerves not being not working it's a functional issue Mm -hmm. Um, and again chiropractic is a wonderful tool for increasing and improving the function in an individual's body obviously through the adjustment through um, you know we look at the gait and the posture and all those mechanisms Um, so the again the functional neurology looks at the systems of the um, nervous system. Mm-hmm. Um, but specifically what I do is developmental functional neurology, which means that I work with the brain and how it develops. Um, you know, the brain develops in a very specific way. You know, you hear about the terrible twos. Right. Uh, there's a reason that they call them the terrible twos, and it's very important. 
it's not always a good thing when you hear a, per- a parent say, oh, my daughter, my son was perfect. They never went through the terrible twos. That's a red flag in itself. Um, so the brain develops in a very specific way. It's like building a house. Um, we always start out from the foundation. So I work with patients, whether they're a baby, a child, an adult, or a um, older individual, all the same. Because again, you're working with the house. If the house has a weak foundation, it's gonna have the second, third, fourth, and fifth floor all gonna be weak as well. The systems built on top of it are going to be weak. And so um, developmental functional neurology, in my opinion, is probably the most innovative form of healthcare out there. Because again, everything in the body comes from the brain, um, the functionality of the hemispheres, how they work together, and if there's a strength on one side, there's gonna be a weakness on the other side. Um, And what happens is if that gets too unbalanced, you start to see the repercussions follow down in the systems, whether it's the vestibular system or the ocular motor system or cognitive function or memory and, um, you know, with the executive function. So. You see that with a lot of time with the ADD, right? Like the executive function gets impaired, but that night, like there might be nothing wrong whatsoever with the, you know, the frontal part of the brain. It might be just bad input from another area of the brain as to why they may have impaired executive decision making. Well, anatomic. Accurate? Yeah. I mean, anatomically, everything is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, function, looking at the function, I always look at primitive reflexes first. Again, primitive reflexes are the foundation for brain development. Um, your primitive reflexes should be gone by the time they're a year old. Um, you know, I've been very lucky to work with some of the best, uh, I would consider the best doctors in the world. Um, I was in Lake Charles, uh, Louisiana, studying with Dr. Daigle, and I got to learn all about spinal cord injuries and concussions and vestibular issues. And then I studied in um, Austin, Texas with Dr. Brandon Crawford, who I would consider is one of the best in the world at working at uh, pediatric anoxic brain injuries, so drownings, birth injuries. And then I actually was um, lucky enough to spend eight months in uh, Long Island, New York with Dr. Melillo himself, who, again, really created the, um, obviously, the Melillo method, which is the hemispheric model of getting rid of the immaturity in the foundation, looking at Mm. primitive reflexes, and then also stimulating the weaker side, whether that be the right or left side, because you can have immaturity in both sides. So, um, so when you, that much when you speak about the hemispheric model, that's Dr. Melillo's specific model. Yeah. So within functional. Yeah. So Dr. Yeah. Dr. Mm -hmm. Melillo created what he calls the Melillo method. Um, he basically started his journey, uh, when he had his first son who was diagnosed with ADD and they told him, you know, your son has this condition. And he himself was always a big component of understanding why, right? Like, you know, there has to be something going on. And he basically spent his entire career um, figuring out what exactly is going on, not only, you know, how the brain works, but what's going on with inside the brain um, functionally. And then also, if there is any sort of immaturity in there, then what to do about it. And I think that's the best part about everything that he does in his courses. Because, uh, you know, you go everywhere and people tell you, well, this is what it is. And they, they tell you their opinion and what they think. And but he's really the only one that tells you what is going on. But also he gives you value in 
saying this is how you can help, right? So, um, yeah, and he has a wonderful book. It's called Disconnected Kids, and I always recommend this book to everybody that, you know, whether you're a parent or not, because the chances are if you don't know somebody um, personally that has ADHD or an autism diagnosis, you probably know somebody that knows. So it's always really good information just to have that wherewithal about, you know, the brain and society in general, and it's not really something that you're stuck with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always find it interesting, too, is that you see a lot of these spectrum disorders like crazy on the rise. And, you know, I, I don't I don't know if you have opinions, you know, as to like why we see that. I mean, uh, you know, like I talk with like people my age, you know, and we always talk about, you know, ADD is just a great example uh, of this. But, you know, when when you were in school, you know, there was the the hyperactive kid. Right. You know mm-hmm. that, you know, but within your class of like 30 kids, like there was one. You know, Mm -hmm. and now it like seems like when you see, I mean, I see parents coming into my my clinic all the time and they bring their kids and stuff like that. And like a fairly large majority of them are diagnosed with ADD or ADHD and are taking medications in order to control those like conditions and stuff like that. So, (laughs) you know. One would argue like, well, we're just better at diagnosing it now. And I'm like, well, I don't know. I mean, like so I'm maybe not here to maybe today to to get into the causality of that and why we're seeing a lot more children with autism and ADD and things like that. But um, it's encouraging to know and think, you know, like there's people out there like you that maybe have a solution. You know, I I always tell, tell parents, you know, stuff like that, that that ADD in and of itself can be like an absolute blessing to somebody. Uh, you can if you can harness that power of ADD, like I believe like I was reading one time that some of the absolute most successful people in the entire world have ADD mm-hmm. because they just have that drive and that go and they're like outgoing and sociable people and stuff like that. But they can pump the brakes when they need to and not be like doing a million different things and scatterbrain and getting nothing done at the same time, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, what are your thoughts on, on ADD as far as treatment is concerned? So in regards to you kind of said some uh, you said a few things I wanted to touch on. Um, yes, more often than not, you are going to, you know, especially if you work with children in any f- form of frequency, you're going to probably notice that the majority of them do have some sort of diagnosis mm-hmm. and they may be on some form of medication. Um, so I do not treat um, diagnosings, right? Again, I work with everybody the same. I look at their primitive reflexes. If they have any, a child's primitive reflexes should be gone by the age of one. And if they are not walking by the age of one, and if they if their reflexes have not been integrated into the brainstem, then they are going. They're not just going to integrate on them by themselves. Um, and they're that going person to have, would be just delayed. Like that's what we call it, right? I mean, that's what a general person call it. Oh, they're not walking. Oh, they're just developmentally delayed. Um, well, yeah. And, you know, if you're not meeting your milestones, uh, milestones are very important. They're Mm -hmm. not just made up, you know, and, you know, it's not like you can cancel brain development for your own needs. Um, and, but what actually is happening too, um, (laughs) there's just, there's just so many things to say, you know? Um, so when people do research, the majority of the time they look at the average, right? So the average becomes the normative data. 
Mm-hmm. So when you get a population or a society where the majority of the children are having delays, unbeknownst to people doing the research, that they are delays or why they are not re- reaching their uh, milestones at the specific point in time, um, when you get the majority of a population that are delayed in some form, that delay becomes the new normal. And so right. it's called, like, for instance, Dr. Malola likes to call it normalizing pathology. And again, it's pretty normal to hear people walk around and say, oh, I have anxiety or I have OCD or I have ADD. Now, um, also, too, you talked about the difference between prevalence and incidence. And actually, I was at Dr. Malolo's course that he has in Dallas um, this past weekend. And it was we were actually talking about the it was the autism module and we were talking about the difference and the fact of the matter is um and if you look at the research and it is definitely occurring more and you can talk to teachers you can talk to anybody that works with children and there is a big increase um i mean not too long ago it was maybe one in 10,000 kids were diagnosed and now it's 130. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard if nothing's changed it's the same trajectory I, th- I believe in the next 16 to 20 years it's one in three. Right and then you brought up so so the answer is like yes like we're not just diagnosing it more because even if you do look at it as oh we might be diagnosing it more when people go out and they ask parents or they ask people to you know, say if their child does have this or does not have this, you're still looking at like a subjective input. Um, And so you can't really even use that as, you know, um, hard data. But if you do look at the evidence, it does state that no, where it's not just being diagnosed more, it's actually being, it's an increase. And I mean, I mean, you just look around if you just pay attention, right? Mm-hmm. Like look at barbers or uh, like that was the example Dr. Melillo used is, you know, really just go out and ask anybody of any sort of um, profession where they work with people. And again, um, you're going to notice that that they, you know, you see children all the time. Mm-hmm. Now, you ask the question why? And the reason why, again, is because all of these issues come from a you know, environmental factors. And again, the biggest thing is I did a talk at my daughter's school um, regarding this topic, and I named my talk uh, Too Smart for Our Own Development because, again, the biggest issue is I talk to parents, and, of course, they want to know why did this happen, and they think that they did something wrong or that, you know, it's genetic or, you know, whatever they've been told because the fact of the matter is is when you go to somebody and they don't know something, they tell you that either – you know, there's nothing that you can do about it, or they just tell you, you know, no one knows. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so okay, so it's society. Think about it. Um, we're not moving as much as we used to, of course. Um, you know, technology has increased. Uh, technology actually stimulates the left hemisphere, and people are just getting more and more intelligent. Society in general is moving more toward a left brain society. Um, and the fact is we give our babies the best parts of ourselves as parents. Um, so when you get a really smart individual and they meet another really smart individual and they have a baby, that baby is basically a super, like a super genius baby. So those are the traits that we give our children. Um, you know, you hear it maybe with musicians. Oh, you know, my, my father was a musician, so it's in my blood, right? Or Mm -hmm. my father was a... Uh, my mom was a great uh, um, athlete, so I'm a great athlete. 
those are traits. And again, just like with anything, for instance, like autism, autism is a intellectual trait. That's why these children are super, super smart. Now, that's the left side of the brain. So what happens is if these children aren't meeting their milestones and if that left brain gets ahead at all, because again, when we we're first born for the first three years of life, we really should be in that right brain dominant stage. But if that left brain kind of gets turned on too soon and it starts to take off, it's kind of like, well, I'm going to be the boss and you know, we're going to use that side. Mm-hmm. And as the child grows, that strong side gets stronger and stronger and stronger and the right side kind of lags behind. But what happens is as the child grows older, the trajectory just continues to um, to, go, to be off of the normal developmental trajectory. And then you start seeing that immature side really, um, you, that's when you start seeing all these deficits. So you see the overactivity of one side and the underactivity of the other side um, to the point where that's why you call it, you know, a functional disconnection because um, it's a disconnection in the hemispheres. Your hemispheres are supposed to work together um, to regulate each other and to work as a team. And um, they both have their own things that they like to do, um, and they really should be working together. And when they don't wor- start, when they don't work together, and you see like the asymmetry and the the systems, that's when you're going to start seeing children that have that are really really smart, but they don't have good uh, nonverbal communication. Or, you know, it could be that kid that's a really good reader, but they don't know what they just read. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't mean that they're lazy or that they're not, you know, there's something wrong with them and they don't understand it. And then you get psychological conditions built on top of the neurological condition because these children go to school and they think to themselves, wow, I'm really trying hard and everybody else seems to be doing this fine. You know, what's wrong with me? Why can't I do this? And then they tell them, well, well, you have this or you have this. And then it's just... You know, it kind of just uh, labeling domino. again as a learning disorder when yeah, it's just a disconnection. In it is. It's just an image. All it is is all it is is immaturity in the development that really stems from the fact that they are abnormally gifted. Um, our children are abnormally gifted, and there's really nothing wrong with them. They just need a little bit of help. Mm-hmm. Really, really cool. So back to. Um, you spoke about primitive reflexes. Mm-hmm. Like, what specifically are primitive reflexes? Like, what's what are are there mm-hmm. seven of them, or how, how many are are there that we know of? Well, there are. Depending on who you ask, there's, you know, um, a lot of them. But uh, what I specifically look at are the ones that, again, you know, with Dr. Malolo and his Malolo method, there are some that he has actually gone through and. Um, numbered down to be some of the most significant and important ones, which is what we focus on. Um, you know, it's, for instance, there's the rooting, which is when, you know, you have a baby and they're first born. Um, you know, that's that sucking reflex. It's there to help the, ba- uh, the baby find mom's milk. And again, these reflexes, they come from the brainstem. And your brain basically grows from the bottom up, top down. And so these reflexes are there in the first year of life to help us survive. That's what they're there for as the brain grows on top of it. Um, You know, we all start out at the basement level. So, um, you know, for instance, babies that have trouble latching. I mean, honestly, I'm a mom. So (laughs) 
I go on to a mommy group and all I see is imbalances. If you understand how the brain works and what that looks like when it's not working as it should, I mean, you get children that have eczema, you get children who have, you get moms who have latching issues with their children. And it's so frustrating personally for myself, my daughter uh, had latching issues and it was probably one of the most uh, trying things. Took me a whole month. I almost gave up, but I ended up getting a lactation consultant coming in. and, you know, lo and behold, I was looking at my daughter one day and she was like two and I would just start learning all this stuff. And I'm like, hmm. And I actually had her tested and she had all of her reflexes. And in my mind, I'm like, holy mackerel. Right. Because, you know, there doesn't have to be anything wrong with the children. I test people all the time, even adults. I love testing permanent reflexes on adults because it's just so common. If you check for the reflexes and the biggest thing is that people just don't check for them because they assume that they go away. And the fact is that they don't. And I mean, I, you know, you get an adult, you look at their ATNR and if their elbow bends, you can't fake that mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, call it what it is. But that's a that's a non-integrated permanent reflex. And or, you know, for instance, if you have any sort of brain damage, they can also come back as frontal release signs because when the brain is damaged or it's under any sort of um, stress, whether it's with like toxins or damage, then, you know, you have to go back and reintegrate those. Otherwise, you're never going to properly rehab the individual. You know, they might get better at a certain point, but they're never going to fully um, get back to where they were. So, you know, primitive reflexes are very important because they are the foundation for brain development. They are your basement. They are, you know, you want that to be solid and they come from your brainstem. The other, I, mean, I have the sign in my office that I love, um, it tells you all of your cranial nerves and your cranial nerves are really important because they're what helps you control your eyes and your vestibular system and your postural control and your taste sensation and your, your you know, your lung function, your gut function, anything, you know, your brainstem is where we live. It's mm-hmm. how we live every single day. And if you have any sort of immaturity, those reflexes live in the brainstem. Now, when you turn a year old, it's like a software system. Those reflexes should be integrated and then allow your brain to function um, to go into the new software system and allow higher up development like to happen. Yeah, it's an update. So what happens is when they still have their reflexes, when not, they're not being integrated, um, then you're stuck in an old software system. And then what happens is, you know, if you're stuck in that old software system, the brain, as it develops, the first, second, third, fourth floor, which actually turns out to be, you know, your core and your postural reflexes and your vestibular system and your eye system and then your cognitive function. And then your brain's supposed to come down and regulate itself and to allow you to get into a very relaxed parasympathetic state. And when that does not happen, that's when you start seeing, you know, if we're not able to get into a parasympathetic state, which is the rest and digest system, we're stuck in a very sympathetic high alert state which allows, you know, which then, you know, you see people that have issues with sleeping or digestion or inflammation in their gut or problems going to the bathroom. And, and it's just like, it's like an endless cycle, but what comes back to is the brain and how it's working. Right on. I almost liken it to the fact that like you'd have glitches in the software system, obviously, if everything wasn't integrated appropriately and you were able to to have a successful update, you know, on mm-hmm. your app and things like that. So, exactly. yeah, it's that that's super fascinating. Like I always like think, you know, when I relate to overall health, like people want to get into 
you know, like I want to do this for fitness or I want to do this for a sport or I want to. And I say, well, ho, 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 let's let's go back and like just make sure that you're like really structurally sound. Like you've got like good balance in your body and you're flexible, good stability, all that stuff, you know, because until we really accomplish that at a really foundational level, we can't expect to like get more advanced like athletic movements and things like that on top of that without potentially running risk for injury or just not being able to function optimally at your best, you know. And I always say, you know, unless, um, you know, it, it, you know, I, I work with professional athletes. You know, I had one of the Mets uh, players in today, and he's always kind of found out he's getting hung up in his back when he was, like, pitching a lot, you know. And I was just like, you know, you're a world-class athlete. You're a professional. I mean, you get paid millions of dollars to do what you do. Mm-hmm. But if you're not a good structural mechanics and foundation with your body – you know, from the feet up, then you're going to have issues in your rib cage at this level. So, you know, I was flabbergasted as to why, you know, the the Mets don't figure that out <laughs> because I was like, you pay people like some people over a hundred million dollars to play baseball for you. How you don't have like the absolute best of the best in the world assessing your athletes like to win championships? Like it's it's unbelievable. Mets fans out there, I'm sorry. That we talk about your Mets team like that, but but, but the Mets are wonderful because the Mets are wonderful. I have, I have yes, a friend who's a absolutely. Mets fan. We do love the Mets at yes, Wellness Center Mets. for sure. <laughs> um, so yeah, let's let's uh, I guess jump into a little bit about like let's for a listener out there saying like wow this is like super fascinating, um, like what's involved like how do you go about bringing somebody in to uh, you know your exam room and like just going through a, a good exam. What are the different things you utilize to assess people physically or electronically or mm-hmm. how do you how do you figure out where their weaknesses are that basically how you're going to put together a treatment plan for them? Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, I work with all of my patients, no matter the age, um, all of them the same, which, again, I always start with the hemispheric uh, checklist, which Dr. Melillo created, uh, where it really highlights the specific um, qualities or uh, strengths of either hemisphere and or the weaknesses. And so they'll go through the check the checklist and they'll check them off. And then at the end, it gives me a pretty good idea of their hemispheric dominance profile. What would um, be the difference between like, what would you see somebody right? What's the traits of somebody with right versus the traits of somebody with left? So, you know, that right brain individual I'm a right brain individual. And uh, so, for instance, those are your, the right brain's all about feeling your body. So, when, for instance, if you ever get upset and then you feel it in that, in your stomach, that's like interoception. Um, now, that's the, not me. <laughs> well, we're going to get to you. Don't we're going to get, get to you. you. Uh, I'm again, clearly the, left. <laughs> the right brain is the big picture. Again, remember we talked about the um, word reading, you know, you might be a really good reader. Or you might be a bad reader, but you might really have a good main idea, big picture concept. Um, you know, those are your artists, your, you know, the right brain is your creativity side, uh, creativity side. So your dancers, your musicians, um, again, the, your social butterflies, those people that go out and, you know, again, it's all about nonverbal communication and being able to read body language. That's why you talk to some people and they say they get a really good intuition about people or they just have this feeling, you know, they're feeling their body. Um, now, again, on the flip side, could we look at imbalances? So the right brain, again, is all about fear, sadness, shame, guilt, um, and so what happens is when you have too much of those feelings and you're being overwhelmed, for instance, where the left brain isn't really able to control um, 
you know, to regulate it because they have to work together. That's when you start getting uh, too much, too much emotions where you feel your body too much. And, you know, you talk to somebody that maybe has any sort of form of anxiety where they're always worrying or overthinkers and, you know, they're concerned and they feel like they just can't turn it off in their head or, you know, even depression where they feel they, you know, that's what it literally is. It has nothing to do with psycho, like, you know, uh, like psychology at, at its core. Everything is built upon the brain and the imbalance and the neurological hemispheric imbalance in the hemispheres. Um, and then, of course, then you, you know, you progress and you start having all these psychological um, thoughts and conditions. But the core root of it is, again, neurological. So, again, too, you know, the right brain is, um, you know, social. It's groups, right? It's wanting to belong. Way back when, you know, I love the analogy of, you know, way back when we were in tribes and nomads and, you know, we really had to survive um, in, by living with each other. You didn't want to be kicked out of the group because if you were kicked out of the group, your chances of survival were less. And so, again, the right brain your reality check is saying, wow, I shouldn't steal that because I might get caught and I might be, you know, embarrassed or put into jail and I might not be able to support my family and my family might starve. So I'm not going to do this, um, this, um, whatever the action is. Mm -hmm. So that's your right brain. The left brain, um, again, so the right brain is your emotional intelligence. The left brain is your intellectual intelligence. It's your IQ. Again, you know, we talked about children that have autism. Um, very, very smart individuals, even if they're non-speaking. I know for 100% um, belief that these children, and I know, um, you know, there's a saying called, you know, Dr. Miller's office is presumed competence. Um, and I spent eight months up there. So I am um, very comfortable with working with non-speaking children and I have a really good understanding of what they're feeling and what their world is. And so again, that left brain is, um, you know, the left brain's like your gas pedal. So you see people that have ticks or vocal ticks, you know, they can't shut off a movement. The right brain is your gas pedal. The right brain's supposed to help your left brain control, say, hey, you know, we did this action, let's stop now, mm -hmm. right? And the again, gas when and the you- the brakes, basically. Yeah, and so, you know, also your left brain is the routine. Um, you know, you know, very linear, logical thinking. Um, it's also anger and joy. That's why you also see children that have autism. One minute they're throwing a tantrum and the next minute they're laughing and or your child may laugh out of nowhere for mm -hmm. any sort of reason without really being prompted to laugh. Um, now, again, both traits are very important because they're there for a certain reason. And the biggest problem is when you have one side that's really not able to overregulate the other. And so again, for instance, like an overactive left brain individual, those are your people that are, you know, they're go, 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 go. Um, but again, you look at it and those are your very successful, very motivated people. You know, those are your CEOs and your doctors and your lawyers, um, your, your businessmen. And again, you know, there's a reason for that because the left brain is about motivation. So um, and you see that, uh, you know, you, ma you make a goal, the left brain um, helps you, you know, make plans and to reach your goal. So, you know, you just, you have to have both because even if you are a very high powered and successful individual, but if you can't 
sit down and you might not have good communication skills or nonverbal skills. And again, you said something earlier about how ADD is, um, what's the word, you know, you, you said it, it was. It can be a blessing. Yeah, a blessing. And, you know, that's true. It is true. I mean, of course, you always have to be aware more of or less, who, what, what I should say is it's a blessing to have left brain dominance to some level. Well, actually, <laughs> there there is a saying in neuroscience that says left brain people are good at school and right brain people are good at life. Because at the end of the day, the left brain can only do what the left brain can do. The right brain does what the left brain and the right brain can do. Mm-hmm. So, um, but no, of course. And, the, and you it know, would be life specific too. I mean, really. I mean, obviously, you know. <laughs> I'm a chiropractor, okay, and I'm I'm book smart and I'm motivated and I want to save the world and make it a better place and that's and 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 so within that field that I'm in and what I want to accomplish, being left brain dominant probably is an asset to me, right? Yes. But uh, secretly on the other side of the coin, I really would like to be a rock star, right? <laughs> but I am not creative to write a song, or you know, be an artist. Or to sit down and just right. uh, without getting. So all, you know, all good and well, you know, that I want to be the lead singer of Guns N' Roses, you know, but I can assure you that my brain just isn't, that I'm not creative at all, like in that realm. So it's, you know, I'm not right. You know, and I so still have that capacity. Talking, talking about the, the nomad uh, analogy earlier, which by the way, you know, the right brain, they, they do like their analogies and the descriptive mm-hmm. explanations. Um, so for instance, again, if you look at society in general, um, with the technology, society is just gradually, very naturally just moving more toward a left brain society. And again, technology, correct. Mm-hmm. Well, and also other environmental factors, right? right? Now, again, let's think about the right brain. The right brain is your reality check. It's what tells you not to do something because this is these are the repercussions afterwards. You know, again, guilt, fear, shame, embarrassment. I'm not going to do this because I'm going to be embarrassed, right? Um, and I don't and then, have those emotions. So, so for that instance, could get me in trouble, right? And I, I can, and then, you know, especially when you get children that are young and they maybe start seeing whether it's video games or they, it's, it's, you know. Just as the right brain makes you feel your body more, it puts you in touch with your body, the left brain is outward, out of your body. So again, you see people, especially maybe children, and you just see they might not get it. Like, you know, we don't want to pinch that person. We don't want to hurt that person because, again, you have to, you can never understand an emotion inside yourself inside someone else if you've never felt it within yourself Mm -hmm. and especially if you're growing up and you have your reflexes you have an overactive left hemisphere you may not be feeling certain emotions to the extent as you know a child that has normal development just as if you have an overactive right hemisphere you might be feeling too much and so again you know it's not good to not feel have any sort of empathy at all because then you have children and adults walking around um, you know, you seeing somebody that's hurt on the ground and they don't do anything about it or right. they walk over them. And so you start seeing this gradual, you know, people are just being disconnected from other people because mm-hmm. we're slowly being gra- uh, disconnected from our right, right brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I often think, well, I guess I'll be honest with you. So I don't have a lot of empathy for people when I see people suffering, but it's their fault. You know, it's like because of their like lack of like, Mm-hmm. work ethic or whatever because I got work ethic I do have empathy for a lot of the patients that we take care of because I was a patient at one point with terrible migraine headaches and I understand 
the frustration that occurs to you at any stage of your life when something physically is holding you back from doing something that you want to do. So I use that experience in my life to always really care when somebody walks into my clinic having a problem that Mm -hmm. they don't want to have anymore. So, you know, so I I guess that life experience is obviously on a neurological level is helpful for me for being understanding and and empathetic in that situation. So yeah, that's all wonderful. I'm talking about the the extreme part of that, which is where you see, you know, men who may beat their wives or who, you know, either bully children or children who mm-hmm. who, who take their own lives and or, um, you know, you see an increase in school shooting. So those are extreme cases. Yeah. But again, you know, having that motivation and aspirations such as you do, obviously you're able to make a, you know, successful life helping other people. I mean, what, what did we talk about the other day? You were telling me kind of about what you do, and it's like you change people's lives. Mm-hmm. You change people's lives every day. And you change my life because, I mean, you <laughs> said, you know, you put me on my journey. Well, yeah. I mean, I think every – I don't know. Just life seems to has that has that way of working itself out and putting you in the right what, – what may not always seem at the right place at the right time because life is hard and things happen, right? But mm-hmm. But eventually, right, you went through a really <laughs> rough time in school – and then look what happened. You yeah. know, you went home, you kind of got grounded back into your home again. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you you let your brain process it and work yourself through it. And, and that, then two months later, you're right where you need to be. And that's what the left brain is there for. Again, the left brain emotions are anger and joy. So anger is not thought of as how we think of anger, like where you get mad. Anger is there for when you have a goal and you hit a roadblock and you ever notice when something you get you get angry and that mm-hmm. anger is what's supposed to be there to help you push past that that roadblock and to continue reaching your goals. I never thought of it that way. Well, you taught me something new today. So back to your exam. So you go through the checklist, you figure out Dom- dominance for mm-hmm. hemisphere. You look at primitive reflexes. Yep. First thing. What's next? And then I look, give them a neurological evaluation where I look at their vestibular system. I look at their um, vestibular system for those that don't know what the vestibular oh, system is. Your ears. ears. So again, you know, you have a right vestibular system. You have a left vestibular system. Um, Problem if you have vertigo or dizziness or imbalance or yep. uncoordinated, mm-hmm. stuff like that. So we look at that. I also look at your dominance profile. So everything should be on the right side. You shouldn't be picking something up with your left hand and looking through it with your right eye or mm-hmm. uh, you know, really having a mix. Everything should be on the, on the one side, whether it's, and it might be all on the left side. But you know, again, there are cases where people are naturally uh, left, um, have a left dominance profile. Um, and is that's it them. Same side. So if you throw right, kick right, mm-hmm, look right, mm-hmm. hear yep. right, your then eyes, your ears, your hands, your feet. Um, and so from there, I look at their dominance profile. And again, everything I do is based off objective measurements. So I look at their core. I look at some exercises and see how long that they can last for in specific um, um, exercises. And I compare that to their gender and also their age range. So I see where they fall in that category. Um, I also look at their cognitive function. So, um, you know, that's why it's called developmental functional neurology. So someone comes into my office, I look at their development, I see if there's any immaturity in the system, I find out where that immaturity is, and we look at the normative data, and we get a baseline, and then we get them to progress from there. Super fascinating. All right. 
So let's talk about then, I don't know, top five or what, what are like the most common like conditions that you see coming in these days um, to you, to, to other people you've worked with? I mean, you must see like a million different types of, when it comes yes. to neurology, there's like yes. a lot. Well, again, my- But my, there's like the big ones, yeah? I mean, there's like- My mentor in Louisiana likes to say, you know, someone calls and answers, they answer the phone and can you help me? And their response is, well, do you have a pulse? Yeah. Because <laughs> the fact of the matter is, again, you don't have to be, you know, si- you know, significantly deficient to not have some area that you can improve upon yourself mm-hmm. with. So again, honestly, um, I mean, the most common, most, I mean, I work, I work with everybody. Um, you know, you can say I work with any sort of develop, developmental delay, whether that be again autism or ADD or dyslexia or sensory processing issues, because you know we processing comes in from the left brain it has to go to the right brain so if there's any sort of delay in that you're going to have processing issues those are your big right brain individuals i had processing issues when i was little i went through speech um so again um so or behavioral issues you know again you see children that have tantrums and or or even any sort of eczema conditions skin issues um again spinal cord injuries it's really just brain rehab um if you're going to do it correctly um and i work with again brain injuries strokes anoxic brain injuries um and you know i hear all the time well how can you work with you know this many different conditions and you know they're not all the same and children and adults aren't the same and you know and that's very true if you're looking at it in different ways and again what i look at is i don't work with diagnosings i work with people in general so i look at the individual i look at where they are i look at their development if they have any primitive reflexes that's where you always have to start Um, and anybody who doesn't start with it is really just missing it Um, so i mean the most common conditions i mean i worked I work with people that have any sort of inflammation in their gut, or I work with, you know, I've had AFib patients. I've had, um, you know, people that aren't able to sleep because, again, if you're stuck in a sympathetic state all the time, like you're not going to actually able be able to lay down and sleep or digestion issues or, you know, attention issues, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe you get tired throughout the day and, you know, you just don't have the motivation anymore or, you know, any, you know, taste sensations. So it's really not, you know, I never limit my, myself. I never limit my patients. And um, heck, I mean, I've even worked with genetic dis- disorders because, again, you want to ask the question, what does this look like functionally, right? Obviously, we yeah. will not change the genetic coding. However, how much of this person's function is being affected by the genetic issue itself or maybe the genetic issue is just one small factor built upon a disconnection, mm-hmm. a functional disconnection. So um, most common is um, developmental delays, not meeting their milestones, um, behavioral, I mean, yeah, I mean, all Everything. of it. All of it, really, honestly. If, there's not a person that could come to me that I don't feel like I could give some value to them in some right. form. Well, I think the bottom line is too, like, so, Oh, autoimmune issues. Yeah, big you know, one right there for right. sure. Like, well, how many people nowadays though you see with autoimmune, like Hashimoto's, and <laughs> I mean, or it's like immune. yeah, tons exactly, of like autoimmune disorders. And again, mm-hmm. like I would that what you just said kind of made me think about you know back anxiety, depression. 
like when you're taking a history of a patient, right? Mm -hmm. So like two things I would say about that. Like number one, when you go through the review systems, you know, um, I have weight change. I have depression. I have anxiety. I don't sleep well at night. I have night sweats. I, you know, the digestive issues, constipation, like, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's like, well, it's in front of are you. there, are there 13 <laughs> different things causing that? Well, probably not, you know, they're all somehow some way linked together, mm -hmm. you know? And so on a neurological level or a lifestyle level or a gut level or something, like if you generally just kind of methodically work your way and look at, you know, environment and you look at neurology and you look at all that and you just generally try to make the person healthier and in balance, mm -hmm. all those symptoms go away generally, mm -hmm. right? It's not like you have to try to figure out like 13 different reasons. You just kind of say, you know what, let's, let's just put the body into the best balance possibly by just maybe making some subtle lifestyle change in these areas and then watch the body just function normal, you know, cause it's just like dysfunction at some level. So when you talk about like, let's not diagnose the person, you know, let's just, just take an objective look at like how their brain is functioning mm -hmm. and then treat the imbalances or weaknesses and then watch the brain just function optimally. Yep. And then all the symptoms that they have that diagnosis for mm -hmm. just get better. So people get diagnosed because they have a list of symptoms right. and again, you know, uh, again, I've been very blessed to work with the doctor that I have, and I have a pretty good, I mean, I have I have a really good understanding of how the brain works um, and what that looks like uh, functionally and clinically. Uh, but once you understand that, um, and so if someone's based, diagnosed based off of symptoms and, you, you know, you get the brain working as it should, once you improve the connectivity and the function um, of the hemispheres, then you improve the function of the body because the body follows suit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Understood. So what's, uh, so I had, I have a patient, she's an amazing patient. Her daughter, unfortunately is the victim of a stroke and she's been dealing with the consequences of that. You know, she has the hemiparesis and like all the other like sequelae associated with the stroke and stuff like that. So, um, let's just use that one as an example. Like what type of like results have you seen? Cause like, obviously I, I have another patient uh, who's, who's amazing. You know, I like that dude, when he comes into the practice, like is clearly like his left side is just not functioning well, right? Mm -hmm. But he has the absolute best attitude in the world. Like when he walks into the practice, like he jokes, like, <laughs> I mean, the, we like are like crying laughing when the guy walks in and he's like very just matter of fact about his, you know, his stroke uh, problem and like his, his functional deficits as a result of it, you know, but he's like super positive and he rehabs his ass off every day, you know, and gets adjusted. Mm -hmm. And I know he's in a ton of pain on one side of his body because of all the, the issues he has with that. But, you know, somebody like that, you know, who's, who's essentially got brain damage, you know, yeah. they, an area of their brain got damaged, right. you know? And, and so what, what can you do with them to like, you get them functioning better? You rehab their brain and then you create new neuroplasticity specific. Mm -hmm. So you targeted... work your way around. No, is, no. Or... You, so if someone were to come into me, if they were to have a stroke, first of all, um, you know, we always take a history 
right? Like a developmental history of their childhood, um, you know, how when them growing up, their childhood, get kind of an idea of were they more of a left brain child, were more they more of left brain, you know, right or left brain child. Um, and obviously then you look at the imaging from the injury itself. Mm-hmm. Um, you take a history in regards to that. And then from there, you look at their reflexes because, again, if the brain was injured, you need to always look at permanent. You need to look at permanent reflexes with everybody. Um, You know, I worked with this gentleman who got hit in the back of the head with a baseball bat. Right. Um, Or also, you know, another individual, an older gentleman who had a left uh, left side uh, stroke on his left side and he couldn't. He had all these aphasia issues, um, could only remember his grandkids' names, uh, basically wasn't able to speak anymore because, again, the left side is your verbal communication. Um, So, again, um, go back to development, look at where the damage is, whether it be the right or the left side. Um, Myself, personally, if they had a stroke on their left side, I would give them more of a left brain treatment, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So, and then from there, you just, you know, again, the whole treatment itself requires, we, we use sensory stimulus to, <clears throat> specific sensory stimulus that is targeted for one hemisphere, hemisphere or the other, which means, um, you know, we use frequencies and sound and lights and vibration. Um, you know, I have my NeuroSolutions laser, which is a, a class 3B cold laser that I really love, and it has um, very specific frequencies in it, and I, you know, work a lot with brain waves. Um, and so even if there is a part that is damaged, again, we look at the function, right? Can they walk? Can they sit up? And we always have to start from the base. You know, if they're in a wheelchair and if they can't stand up, well, the goal isn't to have them stand up. The goal is to have them crawl, right? Or to sit up on their own unassisted if they can't do that. Like a baby would. Yeah, exactly. Just like a baby. And then again, getting those reflexes integrated, stimulating the weaker side, providing specific sensory target input and creating that neuroplasticity. And I mean, um, I mean, they don't, I'm not going to say they come in, they come in for a treatment and they can walk and skip jump afterwards. Right. But again, you work with Is the body. Is it possible though? With time? Yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, anything's, I don't, I don't, I mean, unless, you know, if we cut your arm off, your arm is not going to come back. But remember in terms of function, um, every individual is different. I have seen many, many patients do what has been told that what they've been told they cannot do. I've seen people move their limbs. I've seen, um, you know, people that were paralyzed uh, start being able to drive and to walk. And um, and what does that look like? Right. You know, I worked with a young lady. She got hit by a train. Right. And uh, she is doing wonderful. But again, these patients, they work very, very hard every single day. Mm-hmm. And um I mean, no one really knows until you try. And of course, knowing how to try and working with the brain in the way that it develops is where you have to start. Yeah. So again, um, is yeah. it similar time frames then as far as like what you'll see? Like so if somebody loses like the ability to walk as a mm-hmm. result of a trauma to their brain, mm-hmm. is it 
years before they could probably get a little better function as a result of that neuroplasticity change? Or is it months or is it just mm -hmm. an undetermined because everybody's so different you just really never know until you well, see how they progress? Or It's important to give your patient goals, right? Realistic goals. And so someone comes in, they can't walk. I wouldn't say the first goal is to walk, right? right. Giving them small goals to reach because giving them too big of goals um, too soon, if they don't reach them, then they get frustrated and unmotivated. And, you know, you always really got to keep it pretty, like really transparent and honest and just let them know, like, you know, what, what we're doing, how we're doing it and different changes that they can see. And working with developmental children is obviously different working than with a, um, like an actual brain injury, uh, the treatment, of course, you know, is the foundation of it's all the same. However, in regards to time frames, it really depends, first of all, on the extent of the injury. Also, how long have they been like that, right? Because obviously, you know, someone that has a fresh new injury is going to be different than somebody that's been bedridden for five years, right? Um, because again, you have the atrophy and all of that that you have to kind of work against, or it's kind of working against you. Because you do, you have good neuroplasticity and then you have bad neuroplasticity. And a lot of the times you're kind of fighting against the bad neuroplasticity because, you know, it's that feedback system. Um, so, again, timeline, you it really just depends on the patient and how much work that they put in daily, right? So the severity of their symptoms, the ex, you know, how long have they had these symptoms, and then how much time do they put in a day to get that function back? Because again, anatomically, obviously with a stroke or um, any sort of brain injury, you are working on that injury itself. But again, building neuroplasticity, you know, the only the only thing that you have to do to build neuroplasticity is to have a really strong stimulus. You have to have it for a long period of time, and then you have to have it frequently. It's like dancers that just go and learning their their dances, or gym, gymnasts, or anybody. You know, they first they always start out the same, doing one step at a time, and then going through the motion, and then you know they practice and they do it over and over and over, and then next thing you know, they're doing it and they don't even have to think about it. It's like they're mm -hmm. just breathing, and that's yeah. what neuroplasticity is. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, yeah, of course. And I don't... Um, I found that uh, I was reading something about that with, you know, people talk about muscle memory and it's nothing to do with the muscles themselves. It's... it's The it's, pathways. It's the pathway of the neurology. <laughs> and the reason that like professional athletes or dancers or whatever you want to call any, any type of sport make it look so effortless and easy and are so quick is because... As you repeat that over and over and over and over, your body's laying down more mm -hmm. and more and more mm -hmm. myelin along those nerve roots, and the and the nerve conduction gets faster and faster and faster. And it's like you so you got like thick myelin nerve roots, like mm -hmm. for a professional athletes, because they've done that a million times, right? Over and over and over, and have yep. reinforced that habit. And, and when that, you that. know how to specifically target it for maybe a specific area of the brain, you know, and you can even get more specific. You can talk about lobes, like frontal lobes, parietal lobes, temporal occipital. You know, you can specifically target those lobes, and then you can even go further into it with Broadman areas, and then really tar specifically target specific Broadman areas where that individual needs that strengthening done. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's a lot of different. Um, Options. So that that being said, you know, we today we kind of we're talking a lot about, you know, um, deficits. Mm -hmm. But like you said, at the same time, like a person, maybe myself as a good example, could come in and I overtly would, you know, like I said, OK, if I'm a little bit left brain dominant, but yet 
I can, I, that's an asset for what I want to do, but I wanted to be a little bit more creative. Mm -hmm. I want to try to strengthen that right side a little bit more. You work with plenty of people, big CEOs, big players, you know, stuff like that, professional athletes and all that stuff to like make them even better mm -hmm. and more balanced mm -hmm. and, and all the things that come along with that. So that's what I had also definitely want to make sure that our listeners talk about is like, it's not always about like solving problems. It's about maybe getting optimal, optimal yeah. output and it, function. That's exactly, you know, like my daughter, again, um, everything that I do, I do on myself and I do on my own child. And, you know, in the beginning, even my own family before they really understood what I was doing, because the fact is that Nobody really knows this stuff. Um, you know, that's why I was very fortunate to find myself in Dr. Malolo's course when I was in school and um, really not too many people even in the state of Florida or really in the United States do this, um, which is another reason, you know, it's, it's a movement. We're trying to get, you know, more people to start working with people with the brain-based model. And because obviously there's so many individuals out there who need this help and that can benefit from it. Um, but you know, when I, I started working with my daughter and, you know, she's five years old now and people say, well, why do you work on her? What's wrong with her? She's fine. She's perfect. And I'm like, well, yes, this is very true. Like my daughter is perfect and you know what? And she's fast and she's strong. She is very strong. She just won a push-up competition um, <laughs> when we were down in the Keys and there was a group of, you know, young men and they were doing push-ups and she's like, mom, like. I want to go do it. And so she went over there in her sandals and she was still, she was actually fighting a little cold. So I told her not to over push herself, but she ended up busting <laughs> out 15. Uh, she, uh, I told her 15, but she did 20 nose to ground pushups, like mm -hmm. legit pushups. And, uh, she's an animal she can do. She's, I told her, mom, tell him I can do a hundred sit-ups too. And, you know, mm -hmm. we started working with her core when she was two or three years old. And, you know, some people don't even think that children that small can do it. And the fact of the matter is that they can. And again, you know, the stronger your body is, the stronger your brain is. You know, you see, I work with children 14, 15, 16 years old. They can't even do a push-up. They can't do a sit-up. So what do you think the brain looks like if their body is that weak? Mm -hmm. um, so nonetheless, um, I contribute. You know, I don't work with my daughter because there's anything wrong with her. I tell people that she is strong and she's fast and she's smart and she's just she's beautiful um, because I have worked on her. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they say she's beautiful maybe because of the genes, but uh, you know, <laughs> you want. Well, yes. <laughs> but again, you know, you course. always want to, you know, it's you want to look at, you know, what's optimal, right? Who, what's the best you can be? You know, you know, not just average, right? Who want? No, some yeah. people are okay I've with never been average, a big advocate for but, average. <laughs> right. You know, average is good enough, and some people are. You know, my like, father oh, used to say, enough. "Best of the worst and worst of the best." <laughs> there you go. Exactly. <laughs> So, I mean, yeah, I'm all about that for sure. So, so I think the most important thing any parent can do for their child is to work on their, um, their development. Because again, you know, I always tell them that life is hard enough. Life is not easy. Life was never meant to be easy. But the fact of the matter is when you have a developmental imbalance and you have to fight, you know, life is hard enough and you wouldn't want your children to have to, um, fight inside themselves or their own, um, you know, their own development, it's just going to make it harder. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah, they should be equipped to take yeah. the world on. Of course. And then deal with it accordingly based on how they choose to, not yes. like what they have to. Exactly. Understood. So uh, 
everybody always probably, there's probably like tons of listeners that are patients of mine listening right now and people across the world. So um, what is what are the costs associated? Of course, that's going to be the number one question I always get from people is what are the costs? I think it's priceless when you're talking <laughs> about like you're trying to put your child or your yourself in the best position possible to be successful and fulfill your purpose in life, you know, but mm-hmm. tell what's an exam cost? What's the treatment cost? What? How long is an exam? How long are treatments? Like, tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about that. So, yeah, um, you know, I have people that fly all over the world and they bring their children all over the world to get this type of treatment done um, for, you know, good reasons, of course. Um, so, unfortunately, not at the moment in time, but hopefully the goal will be that insurance does not cover it because mm-hmm. it's very it's very new um, it's innovative. Well, not it. no. Actually, you don't even want to say experimental because <laughs> the fact there's a lot of research behind it. Um, well, I would agree with you, but on that on that same level, in their mind, they're they're um, a, a great one example of would be like um, infrared light. Mm-hmm. Not a covered thing by service. You mm-hmm. have five thousand research studies plus on it that shows all these health benefits, but the insurance company still will say, "Well, there's just not a lot of research behind it that shows it's efficacious for anything." Of course. So we so. know, obviously, in our world, <laughs> plenty of research on a lot of different things, laser, like all sorts of stuff. But insurance still be like, "Well, you know." Yeah, insurance likes to tell you kind of what you need. <laughs> not really. Right. Like they're like, oh, no, you don't need this or this is, you know, you can have this. So but nonetheless, um, it's not covered by insurance yet. Maybe one day Um, my treatment includes, you know, you come in for an hour and a half. We do your history. I give you an exam. We look at all your objective measurements. You know, I look at your vestibular function. I have some other objective measurements to test because, again, I'm always looking at objective measurements, especially, you know, to get a baseline in the beginning. And then we get to see the progression um, down down the road, and actually, you know, more often than not, it happens you know fairly quickly. Um, my personal rate is three hundred dollars an hour, mm-hmm. um, so per hour, and I keep that. I try to keep it as simple as possible, and it's the same for if I work with individuals. Um, you know, I work with patients over in London and in Croatia, and um, you know, virtually, of course, um, and they you know they do fly to see me, but mm-hmm. again, I try to keep it you know, even. Um, Same fee schedule virtually versus in person? No different? Yep. My exam is Mm -hmm. a little more expensive because it's an hour and a half compared to the hour treatment. Um, But, you know, the goal is not to make it so expensive that people can't afford it. Um, You know, I, my teachers that I work with, they charge more just Mm -hmm. because, you know, they are who they are, right? Um, And they've been in practice for 10 plus years, mm-hmm. all of them. Um, and so, you know, that's those are their rates. And so me just starting, um, I really truly feel like my fee is fair um, for what people are getting and what the value of it is. Um, so the examination <sighs> is how much? Oh, um, $450. $450 for the yeah. exam and then $300 an hour after that for treatment follow-ups. Mm-hmm. And then so, and again, there's different options. You know, I do intensive treatments, which an intensive model is where you come to me uh, for two hours a day. So you get an hour of treatment in the morning, you get an hour at night for five days. That's a lot of stimulation. Mm-hmm. You know, I have patients that come and do, you know, one week or two week or, you know, it, it, you know, you can do as many weeks as you want, basically. Um, but, you know, a week is standard. So that's a really good way of ramping up the brain. And then obviously there's equipment to go along with the treatment, because again, we talked about building neuroplasticity. Um, 
And again, you know, to build neuroplasticity, you need to have a really strong stimulus, which is why, you know, we use the equipment. Now, um, you have to have it frequently, which is, you know, I give my time recommendations. And then also you have to have it um, done consistently. So which is, again, why I recommend for patients, if they really want to get the best results, they take the, they get the equipment and they do it at home and they do it in the evening, they do it in the morning. Now, my patients that I work with, you know, locally versus virtually are different. Um, obviously, if you're a local patient and you can come in, you know, two times a week, then that's great. Obviously, you know, virtual, you know, we work with you differently, right? Um, also, too, for instance, if an individual can't come in every, you know, twice a week, then we get them the equipment and I work with them, even if they are local, they, I work with them just like a virtual patient where I guide them and I show them how to use the equipment and what to do with it. And obviously I make myself very available for any questions. I most of the time give all my patients my number just so they can always reach out to me with anything that they need. Mm -hmm. And then, um, if they're, while they're doing it at home, in addition, if they want to come in, they have that option too. So, I mean, there's really a lot of different ways of working with me. Um, my goal is to really work the best that I can to help give as much value to my patients as I can. And honestly, if you help the children out, you help the whole family out. Yeah, um, no doubt. So, and a some, of, sometimes. A lot of parents struggle. I, I know um, I have family members and, and there's some stuff in my family from an autistic standpoint and stuff like that. And to hear their schedules. Yeah. And, you know, the the schools, the, the, the speech therapy, the occupational therapy, the, I mean, mm -hmm. it's constant, nonstop and like my, appointments. Uh, my equipment, the equipment in general, obviously, you know, I have some equipment that I use in-house that is, you know, I use for in-house, such as like my laser, and I have my NeuroSage, and I have other tools um, that I wouldn't necessarily right off the bat recommend for um, people to get. Mm -hmm. But again, um, the home equipment that I recommend, it's, you know, um, all together, you know, it's about, you know, $500, okay. right? And Not so again, no, and then you make it and then they use it every day. And most of the time I have parents that are even like, wow, I'm putting this on my head and it's mm -hmm. making me feel good because you know, yeah. I have a cranial unit and a TENS and all that wonderful sensory stimulus. And so, you know, you know, it's just the way it goes. Nice. Well, I'm sure, like I said, we've got a lot of our patients locally who either know somebody that could benefit, could benefit from themselves, have family members could benefit, have friends that can benefit. So I'm sure you're going to get some phone calls, obviously, after this podcast is released here. But uh, and obviously, as I always bring up, we are the number three rated podcast in Norway, allegedly. Ooh, so, you, you know, so Norway. there are those who are not local uh, to our podcast uh, that may want to contact you and get some virtual uh, consults going and treatments going for you. So for those that would love to, to chat with you, get on your books, you know, get the process rolling, stuff like that. What's the best way to, to get on your schedule or contact you? So the best way to contact me is, um, I have my Instagram and it has a lot of good information on there about what I do. It has my website. Um, it also has my account for my software, uh, my Facebook, also, um, my, website, Dr. Andrea, Dr. Andrea com, And so any of those platforms are, and that's A-N-D-R-E-A-R-A-D-A-K.com. Yes. Dr. Andrea Radak.com. Okay. And what's your handle for your Facebook and your Instagram? 
It's just Same. my name. Yep. 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 You type in my name and you'll see my daughter. Andrea Radak. At Andrea Radak. So you'll be able to find her there. I would also say if you're a patient of mine locally or just wanted to give us a call, uh, she's working out of our US 1 East location. Uh, you can call 772-879-8100 um, and just let them know that you would like to schedule a consulta- uh, consultation with Dr. Andrea Radak uh, to evaluate you and see if there's deficits or how we can make your brain function on an optimal level so that you can live the life of your dreams. So, well, a lot of really, really good information today. I super appreciate you coming on <laughs> to the Evolve Wellness Experience today. I'm sure... I'm really pumped to be able to get on your books and to kind of see how I can become function, more functional in neurology and uh, tune up some of my weak spots. I'm sure we'll probably have you back on again in yeah, the future, obviously, as our relationship from a business standpoint grows. And, you know, I, like I said, I'm just like super pumped to have you on board because when I seen what you can do and it just really piqued my interest to say like, wow, you know, like. I'm really good, I think, at like getting the body physically going well. And you're like really good at getting the brain going really well. And if we can like integrate that together, mm-hmm. like we can create superhumans. Yeah, there you go. Uh, you know, it, yeah, and the, absolutely. God knows the world needs superhumans right now. It seems our health is going really in the wrong direction. Hey, you know, at the least, we don't limit them either. Right, exactly. So thank you so much for having me. Oh my God, thank you so much for having, uh, for coming on board and and having our platform to be able to get your word out and your expertise. And uh, it's awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you.